to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon, and it is Wednesday, December 9th, here in New York City. Hope everyone's doing well, staying safe and healthy as we continue to confront the COVID-19 pandemic. Coming up on the podcast is a really fun conversation I had yesterday with my good friend, Max Sass. We talked all things college football, including some breaking news that happened yesterday while we were recording. Uh, talked about the playoff predictions, college football this weekend before we hit on some NBA discussions to close out as it doesn't feel like it considering that the NBA wrapped up their bubble resumption season and playoffs in middle of October that they're going to be starting up the season in less than two weeks now. It seems absolutely crazy that the regular season for the NBA is starting in two weeks, but we're just ro- rolling with the punches as we all do in 2020. So really, really fun conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy. So I'm going to hit the music. And when we come back is my conversation from yesterday with Max Sass. On the line once again for another weekly appearance. It's my good friend, Max Sass. Max, coach, how's it going? Well, I about... 20 minutes ago, I would have had a much different answer for you. Um, obviously, seeing the best rivalry in sports, in my opinion, canceled this weekend is a bummer. Um, so not to jump the gun, but other than that, I'm doing well, Dave. Excited to be here. Excited to talk with you. I would I would hesitate to call it the best rivalry in sports as your Buckeyes have won how many of the last 15 matchups against Michigan? A lot of them. Uh, I believe the only matchup they've lost in modern, not modern history, but recent history was 2011 in that year in between um, Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer when, uh, you know, tattoos were being traded for uh, gear and, and rings. Right, right. I, you know, I would say, you know, Yankees Red Sox for the history and also Duke Carolina, you know, digressing. My favorite part of every Duke Carolina is like it feels like every two or three years they show a stat before the game of that in their all-time matchups. Somehow they're tied in points that both teams have scored the exact same amount of points in both mat. In that, like, is, that is crazy. I part of me wonders if like they're doctoring that stat, but I I, I, I don't think they are. Um, it's just crazy. You know, I think the the other interesting thing about that 2011 game when Michigan beat Ohio State. Um, you know who uh, was the head coach of Ohio State that year? No. Because I believe that was like the only non-winning season they've had in, you know, forever and a day. But actually, Luke Fickle was the head coach that year. Interesting. He, he was um, he was a um, the interim coach during that just messy year. Um, they they ended up losing thirty to forty to thirty four. Excuse me if I'm if I remember correctly. Um, Denard Robinson was the quarterback at the time. For, that makes for sense. Michigan. He had a great game. Um, I I think I want to say that was when Brady Hoke was still Brady Hoke was in like his first or second year there. Because um, Tressel had finished. Like eight and one, I think in his nine years against Michigan. Obviously, Urban Meyer um, finished eight and zero, um, and then or was he seven seven and zero? Excuse me, seven and zero. Um, and you know Ryan Day has not been too shabby either. So, um, so it, it's just it's the whole thing. So getting into it for just the listeners. You know, we had an outline, we had a plan, we were going to talk a little NBA at the top, James Harden's not showing up, you know, different things going on around the association. Maybe 45 seconds before we hit play on the record, I get a notification across my phone, Michigan, due to an increasing number of COVID cases uh, amongst their football team and those who are, have to be in quarantine as a part of the contact tracing, they have announced they have canceled this weekend's game against Ohio State, throwing the Big Ten into flux, throwing potentially the whole college football playoff into flux. And while we kind of talked about this last week, and this isn't a shock really to anyone who has followed how 
the coronavirus pandemic has affected college football because many, many times this season, due to the uh, number of days you need to be in quarantine, if you, A, are unfortunately have the virus, and B, if you are in the contact tracing protocol, is that for many teams who have an outbreak like Michigan is having, it is a two-week thing. It is a two-week shutdown, basically, or you lose two games. We saw it happen to Wisconsin earlier. We saw it happen to Florida, LSU. Tons and tons of teams have lost two games out of this. So I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed, obviously, and Michigan statement was very, you know, expressing their disappointment of not being able to play. Uh, I think everyone is disappointed who likes college football, but uh, this this isn't a surprise to anyone who's who's followed how COVID has affected this college football season. No, it's it's not a surprise at all. It's certainly a disappointment, like you said. Um, I do think there are a few silver linings. Mm-hmm. Um, one, it looks like because of this, uh, Jim Harbaugh's likely contract status will be um, decided or, or, or announced quicker. Yes. Um, it sounds like there's probably an agreement in hand. Um either to extend him or to separate. And it sounds like with this game not being played, uh, Harbaugh can sort of make his final decision. Mm-hmm. Sounds like everything I've read um, indicates that Michigan wants to keep him, but for a lower salary and a lower buyout, sort of reducing their risk. Um, so it sounds like it's going to come down to Harbaugh without him preparing for uh, not just a game, but the game. Yeah, I think we'll we'll hear about that sooner. Um, and obviously, I'm sure we'll touch on some of the coaching carousel stuff a yeah. little bit later. But that would be a huge wrinkle in there if he left for, uh, say, the NFL or just to take a year off. And it's um, and, and good. I was going to say that you know it's it's disappointing. You know, you know, I don't want to mention it here, but like we had an outline. One of those those things was notable games this week. And you know, obviously, we're going to talk about Michigan, Ohio State. You know, I didn't need to put that again, but. Also, Cincinnati, Tulsa got postponed because of the coronavirus, yeah. and uh, Ole Miss uh, against Texas A&M with you know Lane Kiffin's fun. He he hasn't he had that one crazy Alabama game where they were like they know all of our plays and all of our signs, and Alabama won that game because they're ridiculously good. But I I would have liked to see Ole Miss against Texas A&M. Like who knows? Lane Kiffin might just said, "Hey, we're gonna do all trick plays because he's crazy and an offensive. I don't want to say genius, but he's very creative. Let's just say and I don't know. It's it's a little disappointing gearing up for what's usually a great, exciting last week of college football before the uh, conference championship games. That you know, it's kind of being tempered a little bit by just the reality that, like, look, college football's approach to the virus is yes, they're going to put health and safety first, but they're just going to push through and, and push on. And look, we, we we just have to adjust and be flexible and just uh, deal with the unknowns that we don't know if a game's going to kick off until that ball's in the air. You're right, and so the interesting thing about this Cincinnati-Tulsa game is that they're actually going to play next weekend in yeah. the American Championship game. That was the interesting part, yeah. And obviously, you know, internet conspiracy theorists can go crazy because if Tulsa had won this weekend, they would have hosted the following weekend. Now, because of the cancellation, Cincinnati will host. Um, I would love to see... You know, and I'm not sure it would much help Ohio State, but like I would love to see if it were the other way and Tulsa had the COVID cases, I would have loved to have seen Cincinnati, Ohio State that would have been um, fun. put together. You know, it would be so interesting to me if, you know, something happened to Ole Miss, God forbid. Can you imagine throwing together Texas A&M, Ohio State? I mean, we and we're going to touch on this. And again, I'm jumping the gun. So forgive yeah. me, but. We had maybe the game of the year thrown together, you know, three days ahead of a game last weekend. How great would it be if we're talking about the two teams that are sitting at, what, four and five in the college football playoff rankings right now? Yeah. Just saying, eh, throw, throw caution to the wind. Let's do this thing. And that would be amazing. And I, and I also think that it, what proven we're going to talk about in a second about how the whole BYU Coastal game came together is, it's just abjectly ridiculous that you read statements from these major college football programs. It's, you know, to use your, your team, for example, Ohio State. Ohio State announces that they have agreed to a home-and-home home against Oregon, right? Because that's who they were supposed to play this year, but it got canceled. Yeah. 
they like announced that eight years ago, seven years ago, like something ridiculous. Why don't like I understand it's the television and, and, and there's a lot more factors that go into it. But I, wh- I think they what, have what, games. Yeah, I'm pretty sure earlier this year they announced um, an, a home and home with Alabama for uh, 2027 and 2028. So, I mean, those kids who are going to be playing in that game aren't even in high school yet. And <laughs> which is which is ridiculous to, to think about that. In a year where we've been, we've all been forced to be extremely flexible, and deal with the punches as as they come. Like, why can't it be that in the springtime, when they're doing spring football and recruiting all this stuff, that they are scheduling games the way that many college basketball teams do, right? Like, yeah. uh, there are some things like you know Kentucky locks into the Champions Classic. That's like a you know it's a multi year deal, but. Kentucky can go play Gonzaga if they want, and it's not a a in five years when the, we're going to have to go get some eighth graders who can play against Gonzaga <laughs> in five years. Like it's it's kind of ridiculous because now uh, pivoting to uh, the Coastal BYU game. So for those who don't know, Coastal Carolina was nine and zero. BYU also nine zero. I think I think they said this was the thirteenth time ever in college football history. In its in you know ever that two nine and zero teams matched up, wow! And the game did not disappoint. But so this game was not supposed to happen. BYU is a football independent. So we talked about this a little bit last week with with Notre Dame. So BYU has had to be extremely flexible this whole season because a lot of conferences said, "Hey, we're not doing non conference games this year, conference only." Well, for a football independent, all their games are technically non conference for the other team. So they lost their Pac-12 matchups. They lost, like, the Utah game they always play. They lost a lot of games. So they had to build a schedule this year. And surprisingly, they've had very, very few cancellations. And they've adopted this motto hey, of, hey, we'll play anyone, anywhere, anytime, right? Like, which Except I, for Washington. Except for Washington, which was kind of funny. But they backed it up. And, you know, they heard the criticism. They backed it up and said, Coastal Carolina – who was supposed to play Liberty, coached by Hugh Freeze, who was eight and one, I want to say, or seven and one. Yeah, they had to cancel because of COVID cases within their own program. Coastal Carolina was available, and on Thursday of last week, BYU and Coastal announced that they're going to be playing officially. It was rumored on Tuesday or Wednesday, but it was official on Thursday. And BYU, which is for the people who you know, it's in Utah. They fly all the way to Coastal Carolina, which I learned is right on Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, like right off the beach. Yep. And they played perhaps the best college football game of the season so far. They it, it, it was a good one. It was a really good one. I, I, I mean, you know, it's weird because even if it didn't end up being a great game, I think the hype was worthwhile and exciting. And yeah. you show up and you get this teal turf and these... <laughs> You know the 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 hysterical Mormons versus mullets T-shirts yeah. that Coastal was so excited about, but the game lived up to the hype. The game more than lived up to the hype. I mean, we're talking 2001 Super Bowl, uh, Tennessee Titans landing on the one yard line against the Rams, right? No, yeah. wrong wrong year. I have the I have the year completely wrong. I think it was 2001. 99, but yeah, 99. Forgive me, but. You're exactly right. This game had a lot of hype, and it lived up to it. The game came down to the final play, and Zach Wilson, who is a stud quarterback for BYU, this was really his first chance with all the spotlight on him that now people are talking about, hey, this is a three-quarterback draft potentially between Lawrence, uh, between Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, and I thought he played okay. He was 19 for 30, 240 yards, a touchdown, and interception. But the tenacity in which BYU played and Coastal played, it was really impressive. And it, I personally thought it crossed the line when, at the end of the first half, Wilson threw a, a Hail Mary that got intercepted at the goal line. And the Coastal defensive line double-teamed him and in blocking and forced him to the ground and then basically beat him up on the ground, essentially. And but he bounced back and he showed some fight even if it wasn't his day. So I was impressed even though he didn't play his best game. I, I agree. I thought that was a little bit too far, but 
it does on the other side of things show you how badly Coastal wanted this game. Yeah. And how wanted to win and make a statement and, and they did, right? Like that's a statement win in a lot of ways. And and for Coastal Carolina who the whole talk before the game is BYU was, I believe, eleven point favorites. Coastal Carolina, because they're not a non power five or a traditional power school, it was, oh, their line play is too small. This is what we always see, right? They can dominate in their Sunbelt Conference, but when they play the quote-unquote big boys, they're, they're, they lose the line of scrimmage. And especially a lot of it was made about how Coastal Carolina starts a player at center who is 5'9", <laughs> yeah. which, is, which is just unheard of in major Division One football. It's really unheard of even at you know high levels of Division Three football, right? Especially, Elite leverage, though. Low man wins, right? Ex- how many times have we heard that? Exactly. And... <laughs> Coastal Carolina ran for 281 yards. Yes, they do have a quirky offense. It's a unique offense. It's like a spread option is like the best way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but 281 yards is 281 yards. And Grayson McCall, their redshirt freshman quarterback, he was, you know, he was a game manager. He didn't, he didn't lose the game for him. You know, completed 10 or 15, only 85 yards, but he ran the ball really well, including an awesome – a fake pitch for a first down late in the game that was huge. And I was just impressed by Coastal's fight. Uh, I want to see them in the top 10. I I would love to see them in the playoff, but we know that that's unlikely to happen, especially if Cincinnati-Tulsa doesn't happen next week, as we talked about a lot of COVID things are two weeks, uh, two-week shutdowns in terms of games. But Coastal proved that they deserve to at least be 12th in this new college football playoff ranking tonight. Like, how can we have these two lost teams ahead of them when they flipped during the week preparing to play a good Liberty team and just took on BYU? And, you know, they controlled the physicality of the game. That was really impressive. So just let's because you, you you referenced it, right? And um, we, we're in a situation now where one group of five team gets to play in a New Year's Day Bowl, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, New Year's Six, what they call it. So. Right now, you're looking at Cincinnati has off this week and potentially um, American Conference Championship game over Tulsa. Let's assume they win that. Mm -hmm. The Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina have at Troy, who not ranked but not bad, and then they play nationally ranked Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns in the Sunbelt Championship game on Saturday the 19th of December. Who let's they've already beaten. Correct, correct. So let, let's, and, and but in a close game, 30 to 27. Yep. That was a Wednesday night Sunbelt special, fun belt. <laughs> um, but so uh, let me get your take. Let's say both teams win out now. Who gets that bid? Who gets the group of five bid? That's really interesting. This is all, of course, assuming that chaos, and, and I guess we should just assume chaos in 2020, but yeah. this is assuming we don't have some crazy chaotic situation where... Um, A higher level of chaos than, than we've experienced. Right, where Cincinnati sneaks in, you know, or, or Coastal Carolina, one of those two teams sneaks into the actual college football playoff. Yeah. But let's assume that that doesn't happen. Who, who do you think right now... If those two teams played each other, who would win? And I know that's not the criteria, but that's what I want to know. This is just recency bias, but I think Coastal would win. I'm just, I was so impressed by them. We both know how hard it is to play against a really good team uh, when you have to flip the switch of your focus from another team really fast. We we, we know, we, we both know how hard it is. And, and that's a, you know, a Division three basketball level where you can kind of get the the gist of someone's synergy in in a night let's say you, you can get about 40 to 50 percent sure to get the whole football aspect of offense and defense and getting 11 guys on the same page to understand the game plan on both sides that that you know basketball it's only five right you, you only need five guys to really know what what's going on Football, you need 11. That's the part that I was really impressed by, just the toughness of that team. I think they also have a good defense as well, especially their, uh, they have a stud senior defensive lineman. I 
I think Coastal would win, or or at least I'm too clouded by the game on Saturday night to to judge this fairly. That's fair. I, I personally think Cincinnati would win. I think that though they have not played a team quite the caliber of BYU, um, you know, if you you look at the results for Cincinnati, they haven't. They're they're obviously undefeated at eight zero, but with the exception of their most recent game at Central Florida, they have mm-hmm. won every game by at least two touchdowns. And yeah, I mean, they're really good. Beating good teams or, or not bad teams like Memphis, 49 to 10 at SMU, 42 to 13, you know, Houston obviously has a good coach, 38 to 10. So you're just talking about absolutely dispatching of these teams that are pretty good in the American I think they make a statement against Tulsa in two weeks mm-hmm. uh, or, or in a week and a half, excuse me. I think they win that game by a lot. And, you know, I, I was completely wrong in my prediction last week. And thank goodness Ohio State still four <laughs> in the playoff rankings. But I just think this Cincinnati team is really, really good. I think Desmond Ritter, the quarterback, is really, really good. And, and he's not a guy that gets talked about enough. Um, and, and I I think that is true. That is true. He's not talked about enough, but you know, we're, we're talking about Cincinnati about how good they are. Their point differential this year is 207. They've scored three, (laughs) they've scored 327 points and they've only allowed 120. That is really, really, really good. Uh, Just want to make that clear for everyone. That is really good. Like absurdly good. Biz call that not bad. Yeah, like Notre Dame's is 377 to 171. So basically the same as Notre Dame's. Uh, that's, I mean, it's it's just flat out impressive. And that game to win the conference, I'll be watching that one. But uh, teams are in other conferences are also playing really, really important games this year. Or sorry, not, not this year, this week to determine who's going to be in this conference championship because unless the Big Ten changes their rules tomorrow, they're reportedly supposed to all be meeting all the I athletic directors they, or presidents. they will change that rule, and it stinks for Indiana. Yeah. Because but I, I think they're going to change that rule because ultimately you have to do what's best for the conference. Barry Alvarez, the Wisconsin athletic director, who's probably, by all accounts, uh, the most uh, powerful athletic director in the conference – publicly came out and said even before this happened that they need to change the rule the big 10 needs representation in the playoff and and right now ohio state's the only team that can do it the interesting part is is that i still think ohio state's going to get in the playoff even if they don't win the big 10 because i think they've proven enough in these first five games that they're one of the four best teams and you know we talked about this a few weeks ago we can repeat it let's just you know just state the fact that the college world playoff is a is a TV event first and foremost. Yes, they're trying to get the four best teams and uh, have determined the best champion possible, but they're not idiots. They know that the TV money is a huge, huge part of it. It's usually why they're doing it and playing this year. And Ohio State is a huge draw, especially with Justin Fields at the quarterback this year for the NFL draft hopefuls who's watching their teams tank on the weekends. That... <laughs> It's, it would be a, not having Ohio State and putting in Texas A&M or Georgia if they were to win the SEC. Or even Cincinnati. Or even Cincinnati. It hurts their television product. And Agreed. I, personally, I, I would like to see Ohio State potentially and Cincinnati if Clemson loses to Notre Dame in the ACC championship. Uh, but that's a conversation for probably next week or, or the week after. But... Let's talk about the Big Ten for a second, and then we'll run through the the other conferences and how the games this week. So, with, assuming Ohio State that they don't change the rules, Indiana will be playing Northwestern in the conference championship, or does Northwestern have to win this week? Um, that's a good question, but they're playing Illinois, so I think they'll be okay. They, yeah, they will win that game, and it adds into the other. No, they lost to Michigan State. They did. Like, a lot so it just 2020 doesn't make sense Dave like I I just that's the problem it's a problem and also it's a problem because Wisconsin versus Iowa 
is one of the my notable games of the week because Wisconsin has. They started off, you know, everyone forgets how excited we all were about uh, Wisconsin. The first week of the season, they beat Illinois 45-7. to Graham Mertz threw for five touchdowns. Like, everyone was like, this team is awesome. They could potentially challenge Ohio State. They go cancellation, cancellation because of COVID tests, positives in their program, including their quarterback, head coach. Crushed Michigan, which I guess everyone's doing that this year. (laughs) But then they lose to Northwestern, cancel, and then lose a close game to Illinois. So they've unfortunately have had three games postponed this year. Somehow Wisconsin is two and two. After after all of this, that they're somehow two and two and they're playing Iowa and Wisconsin may be the second best team in the Big Ten. Or the or the or the third best team. Like, it's such a crazy year. But I'm looking forward to that game because if there Iowa wins, four, of the 14 teams in the Big Ten, how many teams have three or more wins on the season? Four. Yeah, how crazy is that? It's it's really bizarre. It's really really bizarre. And they're only playing conference games. It's it, the cream has really risen to the top in a lot of ways and. I mean, good for Northwestern, good for Iowa, good for Indiana, and obviously um, expected for Ohio State. But it, it just feels like this was a year for Penn State to like make a statement. Um, yeah, and it, not to dwell on it, just just I, I was shocked to see how few teams had above uh, had had five hundred or better records. And it is a little funny to see Nebraska, who was all in on playing this year no matter what. Like, they were like, screw this, when the Big Ten initially canceled. We're going to try to play. We're going to leave the Big Ten. The Big Ten was like, you can't do that. We have a contract. <laughs> and Nebraska was like, oh, we're just, you know, we're just mad. Well, they're two and four, which is which is kind of funny that they're not even sniffing a, a bowl game berth. Uh, it shows maybe, you know, do, do what the whole of the league is. You eventually came back and played. Like, it was, I don't know, in my opinion, it was kind of embarrassing for the Big Ten. But if... If Iowa wins in North, if Iowa beats Wisconsin, and Northwestern loses to Illinois, I believe that means that Iowa will be playing in the Big Ten championship because, okay. oh sorry, no sorry, Northwestern is because they beat Iowa. So so I so it's Northwestern no matter what. So it'd be Northwestern versus Indiana, which if you had that on your prediction thing, you know, hats off to you. That that's an incredible prediction. But as we talked about, that's not what's that is not what is best for the Big Ten. But on the flip side, for the ACC, having Notre Dame, Clemson could was like the best possible outcome for the season for the ACC. Yeah, that's that's very true. It's a good point, and part of it is just because the Big East was, uh, excuse me, the Big Ten was a little bit short sighted. No yeah. built in bye weeks, no scheduling flexibility. I mean. Ohio State has now had three games canceled this year, and only one of them was due to COVID issues within their own program. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately the issue, right? That that they got they got canceled on by Maryland. They got canceled on by um, by Michigan. Now they did cancel on Illinois, but it feels like there's almost sort of a, a little bit of like uh, the games that weren't your fault, you should get credit for not playing, but they should count towards your minimum in a way. Yeah. And I, I, that, that's an interesting thing that I haven't heard yet. Cause everyone's been so focused on the big 10 of why did you build in bye weeks and everyone else is doing it. Like, you know that this would have been a problem and just seeing how it, how COVID affected the other leagues. That's an interesting uh, proposal that I hadn't heard about, which is if it's quote unquote your team or your fault as if like, if your team is the, is the cause of the cancellation, is that a, you know, a half a win in the eyes of the, of the standings as to, to get to that minimum. That that's an interesting proposal that I hadn't heard of before. Well, I just, yeah, I, I, again, it's an, it's an unfair question, but you, you know, I look at it from an Ohio State perspective, which is not a an unbiased perspective <laughs> by any by any stretch. Um, so I'm just trying to think of any formulaic way to get them into the Big Ten championship game and give them one more chance to make a statement win. 
because I do think that there's a possibility. Um, I expect Clemson to beat Notre Dame, and I think there's an outside. Actually, I don't really think Florida's going to be able to compete with Alabama. But I don't think so either. I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, weird stuff happens, and I've seen Ohio State get left out before. I've seen Ohio State get put in the playoffs before. Uh, it just feels a little bit weird. Do you remember back in September when we were all concerned that this Oklahoma team was was actually like really bad? Well, they're one win away, one win away <laughs> this weekend against West Virginia from clinching a spot in the Big 12 championship. And with the five-star quarterback and that whole program, they could beat Iowa State in the Big 12 championship and a quote-unquote bad year for Oklahoma. They're the Big 12 champions again. They they won't be in the playoff, but uh it's kind of a reminder for all of us who love college football and talk about it and that can't overreact to one week, one game. They were starting a redshirt sophomore, uh, oh, sorry, a redshirt freshman quarterback who hadn't played since high school and is figuring it was figuring it all out in a COVID shortened off season and just, you know, I'm sure the nerves of playing for Oklahoma, like give, give them a chance. And I think Oklahoma battle through the adversity, you know, it helps having the big 12 defenses to go up against, but I think they'll be battling for the playoff next year. Like it's amazing what, what the blue blood programs can do when they just stick with it and just uh, fight through the battles of, of adversity. You know, every team has it during the season. Here's my worry for Oklahoma and their recruiting. Um, mm-hmm. Spencer Rattler is not draft eligible. So next year will be the first year um, that they will not have a rookie quarterback making a start in the NFL. Interesting. Uh, after Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, and Baker Mayfield did that. So are people going to start worrying that their offense is falling apart because they don't have uh, a rookie quarterback in the NFL next year? Well, look, I mean, <laughs> if the rumors are, are if the rumors are true that uh, – that uh, if, if the rumors are true, and it seems like because also right before we recorded that Jalen Hurts is going to start this year for uh, he's going to start this week for uh, the Eagles. Yep. Maybe, maybe we just count him as as another rookie next year. They're like, no, no, no. Like he's a rookie. Like he's starting week week thirteen, week week fourteen. You know, do, doesn't really count. Next year he's the rookie. <laughs> what if we get? What if we get? Um... Well, Tanner Mordecai, their backup, is a redshirt sophomore. You think we can convince him to declare and, I don't know, maybe go play for, like, the Jaguars or someone and get a weird start, like Gardner Minshew style a couple years ago? Look, if if the rumors are true that Trevor Lawrence is considering staying at Clemson and avoiding the Jets, anything is anything is possible because teams are, are – if, if teams are holding out for him again. Yeah, um – but that's a that's a discussion for another, another day. day. <laughs> another good game this weekend that doesn't have any conference championship or really colorful playoff implications, but has potentially will be a fun high scoring football game is Miami against UNC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Derek really King, Sam, Sam Howell. Back. Yeah. Yep. And just for everyone who's gonna be watching, Derek King is as short as his roster says when you watch him on TV, like he's what is it? Five, seven, five, eight. Like he's an exciting, uh, uh, exciting player, but, but he will pop out at, you'll be like, how is this guy escaping? They list him at five eleven. They list him at five. Okay. But he makes a lot of really exciting plays in the pocket. And these huge dudes in the ACC are chasing him down. And he's really fun and exciting to watch. He, Derek King did something really interesting last year. He was one of the guys who took the most advantage of the four game rule. Yeah. Uh, the red shirt. And, and he was sort of, what do people say? Like playing 4d chess or whatever. Yeah. Um, when he felt like they weren't going to have a good season. And, um, I don't think Miami's gonna, you know, compete for a national championship this year. They're probably not making the playoffs though. Um, they do only have one loss, and they've had a good year. But good year. Um, I, I would say it worked out well for Derek King. I mean, I don't know what it's going to do for his draft stock. Um, I don't know if people are still trying to move him to wide receiver or whatever. But he definitely proved he can play at the power five level. I don't think there's for any sure. doubt about that. 
for sure. He he's he's definitely proven it. And he's an exciting player to watch. UNC's offense and just UNC in general is fun to watch because I don't think they believe in like playing a normal style football game because they'll just score a lot. They'll let teams score. They're down big. They're up big. Like they they are a team where you need to watch all sixty minutes of because the game is never out of reach and never over during all sixty minutes. Like exciting things happen at any moment in a UNC game because they Sam Howell likes throwing the ball deep. Their defense you know, has led in a bunch of points this year, too, in, in some games. Th- this has a chance to be a really high-scoring game. If Mac Brown has a little bit of uh, Riverboat Ron in him. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he likes taking some, some risks. Speaking... I feel like he's like, I've been around the block. I've done exactly. second time back at UNC. Let's just have some fun. Exactly. He's like, you know, 2020, it's, it's, it's been a crazy year. Let's just have fun out there. And, you know, we're going to throw the ball around. And Clemson, you know, they're really good. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're probably not there yet. L- let's just have fun out there and compete and win the style points. Absolutely. Speaking of Max, I saw this incredible stat. This is, um, unless you want to add anything else for the college world schedule, this is the last thing I, I want to say. Mac Jones, the quarterback from Alabama, who uh, dominated LSU this this past week to the point where it was just unfair. It literally was like, any amount of yardage that they wanted to get, they got, and it just felt like a choice rather than effort for them to get those yards. It was an unbelievable annihilation. Mac Jones has thrown a touchdown pass on 9.4% of his throws. So he drops back. He's had you know X number of attempts. 9.4% of those have ended up in touchdowns. Tua has the record at 12.1%. In 2018, Mac Jones is, I think, second. Like, this Alabama offense's transformation from what it was at the beginning of Saban at the decade of they're going to beat you with physical physicality, they're going to run you over, three running backs, you know, Mark Ingram, all those guys, to now they might be the epitome of modern offense. It's, it's incredible. It's a great point. And, and it's made a lot of their offensive coaches head coaching candidates, right? I yeah. mean, you took Lane Kiffin last year or two years ago, excuse me, or actually well before that with FAU, I forgot. Yep. Um, <laughs> has has become a, a hot name again. Yeah. Um, Charles Huff, the running back coach, is getting a lot of a lot of mentions. The guy at Maryland now? What, coach? Yeah, Mike Loxley. Absolutely. Loxley. Abs- absolutely. And uh, a lot of it has to do with, I think, Nick Saban being willing to uh, be a little bit flexible and give give these really bright young coaches, who, by the way, have incredibly talented players, yeah. um, the keys to this Ferrari in, yeah. in, in, of sorts. He got, you know, it was it was almost like he was he just got sick and tired of losing to um, Texas A and M or, or being in those close games against spread offenses. He was just like, why don't we just do it? We have the best players. We, we have the best talent. Like, why don't we just do it? And we could still, you know, run the ball. Like, when you watch Najee Harris run, he could have been there running back in 2011, too, and just run through the tackles and destroy you. And they're like, but let, let's also throw the ball. And they have incredible wide receivers. It's it's really, really impressive when, when when you watch a transformation of a program from 2010 when they were winning a championship to 2020 where they're the favorites to win the championship, how their play style has just completely changed. So I, I thought that was really cool. It is. That's, that is really interesting. So breaking news while we're doing the podcast again. Wow. News is just breaking during our podcast. Adrian Wojnarowski switching over to the association. Woj okay. reports two minutes ago, James Harden arrived in Houston and has tested in accordance with the NBA's protocol. In case for for everyone who was, you know, who's needing a catch up on this because it's been a difficult storyline to follow. In the bubble, the Rockets lose to the Lakers in five games. Right, five games. They've been home for a while. They decide to or I don't know if they decide to or Daryl Morey decide to leave. So Daryl Morey leaves, their general manager. He goes to Philadelphia. Mike D'Antoni, their head coach, 
coach of the year, by the way, a couple years ago, decides to go to Brooklyn to be his former point guard, Steve Nash's assistant coach. They decided to trade Russell Westbrook to the Washington Wizards for John Wall and a first-round pick. And rumors started coming out that James Harden was unhappy and James Harden wanted to leave. He gave him a list of Brooklyn only. We talked about this. Now, reportedly, he's extended the list to others like Philly and a, a couple other teams. He was basically doing a NFL wide receiver holdout from training camp that has started in the NBA <laughs> where he was just not there. The new coach, uh, I think Steven Silas, was like, I haven't talked to him. I don't know where he is. This is disappointing. Just He was like, James just needs space, and he's giving it to him. Well, I guess he showed up now that the holdout is over, but what do you make of this whole James Harden saga? I love that you called it a wide receiver, NFL wide receiver holdout. Um, <laughs> well, those that, are the guys that, who usually hold out. Yeah. I, no, no, that was a really good one because it, it feels very, all we're missing is him doing sit-ups in his front yard like Terrell Owens <laughs> back in the day, you know, like. Or just like pictures from like a, a turf field of him doing sprints that, that he's just waiting, right? Like he's just biding his time and, and, <laughs> and staying ready, like. Better the if it was at midnight or one in the morning the, when Carmelo Anthony did it at the park across the street from from uh, Chelsea Piers where they film all the SNL sketches, um, oh that would have been even better. But I'm happy he's back. But this storyline is going to overshadow the Giannis potential free agency discussions because people love trades more than free agency. So I think the name that keeps getting thrown around out there a lot is Ben Simmons. Yeah. Um, who, who, who says no, in your opinion? I... <sighs> it's, it's a tough one. I personally, I feel like Houston would say no. Because as Daryl Morey has proven, he will do whatever it takes to get superstars and to improve his team and... I think he'll he'll try to let Simmons and Embiid work and develop this year and just see for his own two eyes how their relationship is and, and what he could do about it. But he loves James Harden. He was the guy who traded for James Harden, built the team around James Harden. Obviously, he was his player on the Rockets. Of course, he's going to promote him for MVP and call him the best offensive player ever over Michael Jordan, all yeah. that stuff. But I also feel like it's it's genuine. If you coach, you know, he wasn't coaching, but he was built the whole team around Harden throughout different secondary superstars like Dwight Howard and Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. He tried to get a lot of guys to come play with James, and I think he would he would do that in Philly. And I don't know if Ben Simmons is enough for James Harden. I personally think it is, but I could see Houston trying to be hold on to the as much cards and leverage as they have and holding out for more. It just, I don't know if anybody would say no. Yeah. It's, I can't imagine being thrilled as a Philly fan that you're going to trade. What's Ben Simmons still like 23 years old? Yeah. Cause he was 19 when he got drafted in 2016. So yeah. 23, 24, something in that range. Yeah. James Harden, I think is 31. I know. And and Ben Simmons, I, I mean, it's not like Ben Simmons is is a bad player. Like he's no. made an All Star. I believe he's made an All NBA team. He is a transcendent defender. Yeah, transcendent defender. It just feels to me like you're really going all in, and it's almost disrespectful to to Sam Hinkie in in a weird <laughs> way. Um, because I, I just feel like. James Harden, when you talk about the, the championship window, maybe he opens the window a little wider for the for the Sixers, but he certainly um, he doesn't extend it, it open for a shorter period of time. That's a fair point, and partially is that James Harden has become this symbol and poster child for isolation heavy perimeter basketball and dribble, 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 step back three and driving in the lane and drawing fouls and. People think that he's selfish and that he doesn't pass and that all he does is shoot. And that's that's probably a little fair. It's it's a it can be a fair characteris characterization at times, but also it's the whole team was built around starting in twenty sixteen 
and really that 2017 team that was incredible. Daryl Moore was really the only guy in the NBA in the Western Conference who didn't back away from the Warriors and really, really actually went out to challenge them. And he said, the best way to beat the Warriors and our only chance is to rely really, really heavily on James Harden isolations and give him the ball all the time and let him do everything. That's that's what they said was the best chance for them to win. And they almost did it. They missed 27 threes in a row in game seven at home without Chris Paul. And they they almost beat the the Warrior Dynasty, right? Yeah. It was they really did. They were up three two in that series, right? Yeah. yeah, they were up three two. Chris Paul gets hurt gets hurt at the game at at the end of game five. And I think that we all forget that while James Harden is just people talk about the step back three and how he ruins the game because he's drawn fouls and he's doing it by the letter of, of the law and not like uh the intent in which it was written. He still is a pretty good passer, just throwing it out there for people who, who don't watch him play that much is that he's not just a guy who shoots all the time, but he's actually a really good passer. My concern with him in Philly is Embiid needs the ball because he's a dominant, dominant post player. And Harden just hasn't played like this in a bunch of years because he hasn't had a dominant post player. I think his, his whole career, he's had a, relatively dominant center when Dwight Howard came to play with him, but Dwight wasn't 100% the same guy as he was in Orlando, and he was never really a dominant post threat the way that Embiid was. He drew a lot of fouls, but not like post moves and, and, and all that stuff. I wonder just how the fit would work. He would obviously be able to hit way more perimeter shots than Ben Simmons, but I think you would have potentially some of the same issues of whose team is it really? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that it's definitely a little bit of a weird fit considering that not only did Daryl Morey go all in on this ISO ball, but he also just completely went all in on this whole idea of like eliminate the center. Yeah. Um, Which... So now you go from that to the guy who's probably the best center in the NBA. I'm I'm trying to think like who else is in that argument. Maybe Carl Towns, Rudy it's, Gobert, but it's basically but, him and Jokic. Oh, Jokic! Gosh, yeah. I can't believe I forgot Jokic. Yeah, so it it just feels like you're not necessarily recreating what you had with the Rockets, unless you're going to strip Embiid down to parts yeah. in a trade, which I don't think makes sense. I don't think it makes that much sense either. And the the, the question I'll pose to you is. Theoretically, that the trade goes through, it's James for Ben Simmons. And now it's Harden and Embiid are the duo in Philly. Is that the best duo in the Eastern Conference? Or do you still think it's Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Um, no, I think it's um, Frank Nilekina and Kevin Knox. Look, look, um, I love Frankie Smokes, but... but and his shots looking better in the one clip of his one made three that the Knicks released from training camp, but I think we have a couple more years to wait. <laughs> yeah. um, but to actually answer your question, I think that if Kevin Durant is you know back to ninety five percent of the player he was before the injury, which I think is very possible, um, considering how much he relies on shooting and, and stuff like that in his game. Um, I think the Nets have the more talented duo. Mm -hmm. um, I, I actually have serious questions about if either of them are going to work as well as the sum of their parts as they would individually. But, I agree. Uh, but it, it, it would be fascinating. It would certainly be fascinating. Yeah. I'm, I don't know how I feel about it yet, but it's definitely up there. But but the Nets are, I think, the most interesting team in the NBA this year. I don't think that's a stretch to say because Durant obviously missed all of last season. He was their big free agent get. He comes with Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan, but mainly Kyrie Irving. And and they came because they, you know, they both said they loved the culture that was built with Sean Marks and Coach Kenny Atkinson and... Uh, a lot of that team is is no longer there. Kenny Atkinson is not there. Um, he was replaced midway through the year with Jock Vaughn. They then 
demote Jacques Vaughn to an assistant and hire Steve Nash, who has never coached before. So we'll see how we'll see how. Though he has quite the veteran staff around him. I mean, you he does. About he does. He does 100% for sure. He has Dan Tony and Jacques Vaughn and um, who who else? I I I knew he wanted well, to get Dirk. If I'm not mistaken, he brought in, um, I think, Ime Yudoka from, uh, yep. did I read that right, from so. Popovich staff, and I want to say Amari Stoudemire, who's obviously not a coaching veteran, but yeah. I was more referencing the idea that um, Mike D'Antoni Yes, came. and I personally think... on Ime Yudoka. Yeah, I, I mean, I personally think, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, the Nets are either going to be really good or a train wreck. And I think that they have a high potential for both. And it's going to be really, really interesting to play out because of the personalities on the team, the expectations, the injury concerns, the shortened season. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of intrigue and possibilities for this to go either really, really well or really poorly. Um, I'm not sure that the floor is quite as low as we think because I just think they're they're a lot deeper than um, many other teams with superstars. I mean, just now, you talk about guys like Karis LeVert and Joe Harris and Jarrett Allen, um, and, and those are pieces that I think either can support you for long stretches if there's some sort of disastrous injury or fallout between KD and Kyrie, or can be packaged to get a third superstar, which, again, I just think having those guys there raises your floor um, in a way that, that not having that level of depth sort of leaves you out out, out to uh, more vulnerable. That's, that is true, is that they are, they do have a lot of depth, but I think the floor is is lower than than you're considering because of the injury concerns that their top three guys have had. Karis Levert had a couple major foot injuries when he was in in college, and I believe he had a knee injury, if if I'm not mistaken, in in the NBA. He's very good, but you know, a lot of injuries. People are people are focusing a lot on Kevin Durant's injury concern. Obviously, he has the torn Achilles, which is. Right you know, one of the toughest injuries to come back from historically for professional athletes. But Irving has also missed a lot of time throughout his career with various injuries, whether it was a broken hand or a, a broken fingers, or he remember he, he wore a mask once he, yeah. he hurt his knee in the first finals against golden state. He then hurt his knee again, or it was the same knee injury with, with Boston that, that he had surgery for and got infected. He's had a couple shoulder surgeries, um, including a major shoulder surgery last season, which is why he stopped playing. Yeah. So he, he, he had 20 appearances last year and, uh, I just looked it up. He's only played 70 games or more once since 2014, 15. So yeah, um, just a little bit he, he's just been a little bit dinged up with with different things and that's mm. sort of the weird part of it right it's just been all different things it is so so that's my concern is obviously kd is at at best when he's totally on he's one of the three best basketball players in the entire world right if steph's at his best and lebron and, and durant which they were at their peak like 2014 15 16 17 Right, and Giannis is in that conversation now and, too, and Kawhi. But like that, the best of the best in the world. He's he is there, but he's had a lot of injuries as well. He's he's not as young as he once was. He's been in the NBA since 2007. He had a major foot injury with Oklahoma City, and he had this Achilles injury. And I, if he's not the same, and with the fast pace of the 72 game season, and who knows what it will bring, and Irving's injury history. So I think that could, I think that is a potential issue that people aren't focusing enough on is that it's not just Durant's injuries, but it's also Irving's because Durant's such a big question mark. Yeah, I I would actually, this is going to sound terrible, but you could make a compelling argument that they might be better off if Kyrie is out for a while. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, and 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 I like Kyrie. I like Kyrie. He hit one of the most clutch shots in NBA yeah. Finals history. I'm not, I'm not. You know, I don't mean to sound like I'm completely out on Kyrie, but um, yeah, I, I just, I, 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 it's hard not to be sometimes, especially after what he just recently did with Media Day and all that yeah. stuff. Like, and he doesn't help himself. And the drama is already starting, whether it was intended or not. Look, I I get it. He does a lot of podcasts. He does more interviews than people realize just how much media availability there is for NBA players. He deals with enough journalists and, and enough reporters that if he just wanted to make a statement and make sure that it was read in full and understood, right, and not, you know, videoed for four words were put on Instagram and it was out of context. I get that, but the spotlight is on you and it's on the team and not going to media day only brightens it, you know? Now, now if they start awesome and they start 14 and two and they're first in the East, people will easily forget about this. But if they start six and six, like a lot of teams do that are built and put together in the first year, just because it naturally takes time to, to work out how to play together. Right. People, yeah, people are going to keep talking about, oh, well, this all started because Kyrie didn't go to media day and people aren't going to, you know, people aren't going to let that down, especially in New York City, where, you know, the media and the sports media is really tough. It is. It is. And it's just an excuse to put something on the back page of the post or the the news with with a witty headline. Right. And yeah. Part of me wonders if that's what he's looking for, though. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to get into the psychology of it because it's just impossible to know. But yeah, he's um, and him and Duran have had their troubles with with different teams, and they're both, you know, quirky guys who who are interested in a lot of different things and can be moody by all reports, right? And not always the best of the best teammates because I don't think people necessarily realize how much time all these people spend together during the season. And when you're playing for these great teams and you're superstars, if you're having an off day or an off week, the, the spotlight is on you fair or unfairly, right? And probably a little unfairly, it gets blown out of proportion probably a little bit that, hey, this guy was just having a bad week that, oh, he's a malcontent and he's a bad guy and he's the reason why the Warriors chemistry was messed up, right? Like all that stuff is probably unfair, but it if he, Durant's not happy in or he says something because, you know, credit to him in the player empowerment era, he's speaking his mind, you know, all credit to him. But if he says something after a tough loss or a tough win against someone that's going to be leading first take that's going to be leading Colin Coward show and get up you know you know get up is going to cover everything about the Brooklyn Nets right and for sure and 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 I actually don't I personally don't think of KD as being a bad teammate no Um, that's not what I think of it at all I think Kyrie has a little bit of that reputation um because of his experience or, or whatever happened with the Boston Celtics but I just think that we've talked about the floor a lot, but when you think about the ceiling, you have to think about what was the last time that Kyrie was the second best player on a team with a top three player in the world, which was and, a finals appearance and winning championships well, and, finals and, and a championship win. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I, I think that my hope is that, you know, if we sort of give them the benefit of the doubt, they figure it out. Maybe Steve Nash, uh, you know, being the perfect point guard, you know, really clicks with them. And now you're talking about those two guys both playing as best as they can play. And now we have a team that potentially rivals those Cavaliers teams with Kyrie and LeBron. I mean, and, and they yeah. were fun. They were a lot of fun. They were they were so much fun. And they have a little more depth than those Cavaliers team did just because they haven't started making trades yet, you know, to, to build out the roster yeah. with, with veterans. But the Eastern Conference is loaded, and that's something we haven't seen in a while is the first top six or seven teams of the East are really good. Probably not as good as the West, but they are still really good teams. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. I think the top of the league is getting better. And um and the middle that's even with that's that's even with well, yeah, I, I think that middle is is getting a little weird too, because you have yeah. teams like Atlanta that are trying to force their way into that right. sort of tier um, just the whole dynamic of the league is very interesting to me. 
it's a great time to be a basketball fan. The season kicks off in a couple Agreed. of weeks. We're we'll previewing next week. Coach, always appreciate the time. Love having you on the podcast and talking college football, NBA, whole lot of stuff. So always appreciate ha- having you on and uh, have a great weekend. Who knows what college football there, there will be this weekend, but I know we will be, both be enjoying it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just up to the minute. It looks like Purdue might not be able to play this week. So maybe we're getting, you know, Ohio State, Indiana, part deux, or, <laughs> or, or maybe they're going to move some stuff around. I I don't know. It's all a mess. Hopefully it gets figured out. Um, but enjoy enjoy college basketball tonight. Again, I know we're talking about the future, but it'll sound like the past. Uh, there's some really good games on tonight. Illinois Duke, Iowa, North Carolina. Absolutely, and I think um, Creighton, Kansas is tonight as well. Yeah, so that is. Those games, it's it's a great time to be a, a college sports fan, um, as hectic as it is. So I'm just grateful for those things. I'm excited for um, great basketball, great football, and 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 great conversation with you. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.